0: So as we get started, the public, uh, just this, this is free, uh, public speaking pro tip, if you can match your travel mug and your glasses to your pants, uh, like you just, you've automatically captured your audience in ways that would blow your mind. Uh, so if this sermon is good, it's because my pants match my travel mug this morning. Uh, so uh, I want to start with a story. Um, Rome, 1509. Michelangelo was not enjoying himself. Instead, he was painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, twisting and craning his body into awkward positions while irritating drops of paint fell on his face. In a poem addressed to his friend Giovanni di Pistoia, he complains, I've grown a goiter from this trap I'm in, and in front, of my skin, in front I feel my skin stretched lengthwise, but in back it cramps and crimps and folds. This is my state, arched and indented like a Syrian bow." Troubling, too, was his mental state. He wrote of strange thoughts that ran through his mind, which were not to be trusted. Throwing his proverbial hands up in the air, Michelangelo concludes his missive, I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. Michelangelo. Michelangelo's words are at once familiar and surprising. Everybody has bad days at work, days when our work truly does feel like a trap with no discernible escape, and it's amusing to hear an august figure voice through the space of 500 years, the same quotidian complaints that people grumble about today. There's humor in that universal grumpiness about work, as well as an opportunity for human connection through camaraderie and commiseration. But perhaps what's so shocking for us to hear is that even for this great artist, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, one of the most beloved artworks in our Western canon was a product of labor, Both the anxious, self-doubting mental labor of planning and organizing such complex work and the aching, sweaty labor of applying pigment under papal directive. The mythologies of artistic labor as fueled by passion, genius, or mental illness, faith, drug abuse, longing, mystical visions, and of course, love is vast. But ultimately, all of these romanticized motivations are masks, hiding the simple fact that work is work, even if it produces something cherished or beautiful. So I'm not sure how to break this to you all, but work, oh, push pause, that book is written by an author named Mia Tokamitsu, and she wrote an article a couple years ago uh, kind of dispelling the myth of do what you love. So the book is called Do What You Love and Other Myths, and it's, uh, I just got it, I'm pretty intrigued by it. It kind of kicks down, or so tears down some lies about work, um, so I recommend that uh, to you. But I'm not sure to break it to you, but work, my friends, is work. Work is hard. Work is a joy. Work is confusing. It's wearisome. Work is messy. Work is annoying. Work is beautiful. Work is a service to society. Work can be fun. Work is a lot of things, but it is and always will remain work. Work drove Michelangelo. Michael, stinking Angelo, to struggle with his very identity as a painter. Michelangelo, this Michelangelo, he's right, like, it's, that's terrible. Um, he's, he should not have been a painter. He should have just stuck with sculpting, uh, like David or whatever. That's, uh, yeah, it's awful. Um, but it's somehow comforting for us to know that this thing that was one of the most beloved pieces of art of all time, greatest artists, viewed his work as work. It wasn't easy for him. We have this image in our mind sometimes that artists just paint in this like glorious, blissful uh, flow of creativity. And that's not always the case. Work is work. Even if you're making one of the most famous pieces of art of all time. So we're wrapping up a series today that we've titled Monday Morning Faith. And we recognize that our work occupies a massive space in our lives. Whether it's paid or unpaid, uh, work is a thing that we all do. And if our faith has nothing to say to us, nothing to do with um, our working lives, and our faith is letting us down, but we believe that our faith does have something to say. And In the first week of the series, Tim talked about the imagination of God and how we bring our imaginations to our own work uh, the way that God does. It's what he's created for us, and I'll speak a little bit about that more later. Then Susie spoke to the beauty of our primary calling, that God has called us to love him and to love others, and that that can happen no matter what the actual job that we do is. There's lots of ways we can apply ourselves fully to work, even if it's not work that we uh, enjoy. And then last week, Susie spoke again uh, on how work is our witness. It's a way to show the world that we are who we say we are and that God is who he says he is. So that brings us to today, and I want to go back to our origin stories a little bit and explore a couple things from Genesis to to get some insights into the different ways that work is indeed work. So will you pray with me as we continue God, we breathe deep your goodness, and we root ourselves in this moment because we know and we believe that it is in this moment, right here, right now. This is the place where you can meet us. God, our pasts are fixed, and our future is uncertain, but you have promised your presence with us here and now. So we pray that your Spirit would move and work among us to teach us the things that we need to hear, to speak to us words of life, and we will indeed come alive. Amen. So work is work, and the even worse news is is that work is also cursed. Genesis 3 tells us the story of humanity's fall from grace. Genesis 1 and 2, we have insights into the creation story, and we'll touch on those in a minute. But Genesis 3, we see humanity rebelling against God. They take matters into their own hands, and they violate the one rule that God had given, and those violations have consequences. And there's a ton that could be said about this. I mean, uh, gallons of ink have been spilled. Um, does that still apply? Can we use that analogy with ink, like, since all we do is type on things anymore? Gallons of ink have been spilled on this, this subject of, uh, of the fall and how the curse that God levies against humanity uh, imp- impacts us. But just know that, that work is cursed. We pick up the story in Genesis 3. God says, this is to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And If any one of us has ever worked, we know that thorns and thistles abound in the things that we try to do. Adam's consequence for his rebellion is a deepened struggle in the gathering of his food, which is to say his work. His primary job at that point was staying alive and and, and keeping things going. And God curses his work. So what does this mean? How is this a curse? Does it simply mean that work is now hard or difficult? Not exactly. Difficulty, uh, we'll talk about more in just a second. The curse touches all of creation, it's not just Adam's job in particular that it's cut, touched because the curse is even not on Adam specifically. It's on the ground. It's on the creation. The created order of things has been violated, and our work now feels more futile, more fleeting, more hopeless, more isolating. And In the past, I've argued at times that, that original sin, this, this falling from grace that Adam and Eve experienced, that sin is a failure of community. God gave them to one another to take care of one another. He gave them one another to help each other fulfill God's purpose for creation. But the enemy tempted Eve individually, and Adam didn't help. They didn't stick together. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And the ramifications are massive because the curse, because of the curse, work is now something that divides us, and it drives a wedge between us sometimes. Our experience of these of, of difficulty is now different. So work is cursed, and we all know that. We all feel it. We all experience it. We feel that weight. And I hate to move quickly on from this because, it's a, again, it's a subject that so, theologians have been discussing for a long time. But just know that first thing, that work is not the place where you will find ultimate fulfillment. Work is not the place where you will find completion. Work is cursed. Work is a little messed up right now. And we're looking forward to a day when it won't be. And we'll talk about that even in a few minutes. But just know that work is cursed. So That's the first thing I want to talk about. And I want to move to something a little bit more hopeful. And work is work, friends, but work is also difficult. Uh, I'm a preacher of hope this morning, you guys. Um, Work is difficult. And yes, this is hopeful. Because before work was cursed, work was still difficult. Work was hard. The difficulty of work is a feature of the created order of things and not a bug. Let me say that again. The difficulty, struggle, is a feature of the created order of things and not a bug. Before the fall, before original sin, before the curse that we just read about in Genesis 3, we have Genesis 2, which is a picture of humanity in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with the created order. And all is right and all is well, and God gives Adam a task. Before God gives Adam and Eve even to one another, God gives Adam a task. So we pick up the story here. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. It's from Genesis 2. So God gave Adam a job to name all these animals. And a side note, no suitable helper is found amongst the animals. And it's not just the animals. I think that there's a a lesson. This is just a little little excursus here. There's a lesson in that, that No suitable helper was found for Adam in the animals. And I I would say by extension, no suitable helper then is found in your work. Ultimate fulfillment isn't found in work. It isn't found just in the task. We're made for community, community that does tasks together, but our ultimate fulfillment is not in our work. But back to the job that's been given, it's no small task, and it couldn't have been easy, and it couldn't have smelled good. Uh, having all these animals come to him and having to name them. A pastor friend has joked about this scene, saying that early on Adam was feeling all saucy and creative and was like, sees an animal coming to him. He's like, rhinoceros. And then the next one comes along and he's like, hippopotamus. And then, you know, a little thing with arms, long arms and long hair comes along. Orangutan. And then some weird little duck beaver-looking thing comes along. And platypus. And he's just getting creative with all the names. But then after a while, he's like, ugh. Cat, rat, bat. (laughs) He might have lost a little steam. This would have been difficult work. It's not an easy job. And this is before the curse. Before work is cursed, work was hard, and hard does not equal bad. We need to realize that just because something is difficult does not mean that it is bad. We often believe a lie that if something is hard, then that means it's bad, and it's just simply not true. We are constantly, as human beings, pursuing things that are difficult, even incredibly difficult. It's part of how we are wired. We want to pursue difficult things. Difficulty is a feature of the created order, not a bug. I believe it's safe to say that nothing good comes from uh, from nothing good happens apart from struggle. Nothing good comes from anything unless there is difficulty, struggle around it. This truth is hardwired into the very foundations, the very core of creation. Plants flourish in the midst of struggle. Animals grow strong through difficulty. We grow strong through difficulty. Our landscape is carved and curated and made beautiful through forces of nature that are strong and hard and violent sometimes. Without difficulty or struggle, we would not be who we are. I've talked a lot at times about being a trail and ultramarathon runner, and there's just a very simple formula for getting fit and getting ready to do a big race. That is stress plus rest equals growth. If you overemphasize stress, you decay. If you overemphasize rest, you become soft, cushy. Stress plus rest equals growth. It's wired into the very foundation of how things are. And the sooner we accept that difficulty is a part of the realities of the world, we can embrace it and realize it's the very thing that makes us who we are. There's a sociologist named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and uh, good luck Googling that because it's nearly impossible to spell. He's a social scientist. He wrote a book called Flow. Does anybody know or read that book, Flow? Um, His book describes what it's like to be in a flow state or in the zone, to be in that place where you're fully absorbed and fully immersed in, in work or in activity. Flow is described as a person performing an activity that is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus full involvement and enjoyment of the process of the activity. In essence, flow is characterized by complete absorption in what one does and a resulting loss in one's sense of space and time. When you look into this more and you understand flow, flow does not happen apart from difficulty. There needs to be a measure of challenge and difficulty in order for us to be absorbed in something, to fully lose lose track of space and time. Something has to be big enough, hard enough to maintain our full focus if we're going to experience flow difficulty is wired into the foundations of creation. So that's the second thing. Work is work and work is difficult. And that understanding actually leads us to the last insight I want us to see. That is not only is work cursed, work is difficult, but if we back up even one step further, we see that work is a gift. It's a good gift from God to us. So in Genesis 3, I talked about the curse. That's what we see that work is cursed. And I backed up to chapter 2, and we see that work is difficult. And that's part of how things are wired. And we back up to chapter 1, and we see that work is a good, good gift from God. So this is uh, the narrative in Genesis 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. As Tim uh, discussed in the first week of this series, Genesis 1, we see an imaginative, creative God just applying his creativity and imagination uh, to this whole endeavor that we are a part of. And here we see that God makes us to be like him. We're created to be creators. We're created to be like our Father God. Work is a good gift. Work is a way for us to be like God and to bear His image as a creator. That image that we all have, that we've seen of a, uh, you know, of a a child following a parent out into the garage and using tools and putting their little tool belt on or following their parent into the kitchen and learning about cooking or whatever the thing might be. That's what we do with God. Like, we are those, those kids seeing our Father and His creative work and applying that creation, applying that to the creation around us. Work is a good gift for us to be like our Father God, and this is called the cultural mandate by theologians. God makes all of the raw stuff of culture. Then he makes room for us to dig and build and grow and make and try and struggle and fail and try again and again to make something of the creation he's given us. Andy Crouch is a Christian author and a thinker, and he has a book called Culture Making, and in that book, he notes that God put Adam and Eve in a garden. And he defines a garden as, as a nature plus culture. Isn't that beautiful? It's Like what Craig talked about, that we take the stuff of nature, we apply our culture to it, and it becomes a thing where we can feed people and share meals together. A garden is nature plus culture. A garden is a perfect picture of what God has called us to, to make new make something new out of the raw stuff of earth. Andy Crouch goes on to say this, in order for humankind to flourish in their role as cultivators and creators, God will have to voluntarily withdraw in certain ways from his creation. He makes space for the man uh, to name all the animals. He makes room for the man and woman together to know one another and explore the garden. He even gives them the freedom, tragically but necessarily, to misuse their creative and cultivating capacities. God is always willing to be present, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But He is also willing to grant humankind their own cultural presence. Without this gracious carving out of space, they would never be able to fulfill their destiny as divine image bearers. Without the gift of a garden protected from the full wild wonder of the teeming earth and waters, they would have been overwhelmed. God's first and best gift to humanity is culture the realm in which human beings themselves will be the cultivators and creators, ultimately contributing to the cosmic purposes of the cultivator and creator of the natural world. God's first and best gift to us is is granting us meaningful work. We're here to make something of the world we've inherited. God's given us a role in his purposes for the universe, and it's a, a mighty and amazing thing to behold. We also know that work is a gift because on the other end of this experience of life, we we see the eternal kingdom, the heavenly kingdom instituted in the book of Revelation. And in that kingdom, we find that culture-making is there as well. Described as the kings of the earth bringing their goods, bringing their glory into the city that that God brings down from heaven for us. Crouch says this about, about the the end of things in, in the kingdom that is to come. It says, our eternal life in God's cre- recreated world will be the fulfillment of what God originally asked us to do, cultivating, creating, and full and lasting a relationship with our Creator. This time, of course, we will not just be tending a garden. We will be sustaining the life of a city, a harmonious human society that has developed all the potentialities hidden in the original creation to their fullest. Culture redeemed, transformed, and permeated by the presence of God, will be active for all eternity. We know that work is a good gift that lasts into the kingdom, and it just thrill, <clears throat> thrills me at times to think of what it might be like if engineers had unlimited time and resources, and the barriers of sin uh, were, were removed and could work together to create things. What would that be like? I want to drive that car those people come up with, Right? I want to be a part of the things that the creators and cultivators make in the kingdom when they have unlimited time and resources and capacity to know and be known and communicate perfectly. What can we do? What can we make? What can we become? Work. This thing that we do engages us in a way that is deeply meaningful. It's a thing that we're very wired into. We need it. We long for it. We recognize, though, that work is cursed, that work is difficult, but work is a gift. I just want to recognize that with all this stuff, um, it's a lot to wrestle with. Many of us have been deeply wounded by our experiences with work and career and vocation. We experience the pain of the curse, and we try to minimize that pain. We want to redefine work or rearrange it to be something that it's not. Many of us are unemployed either willingly for a season with kids or unwillingly through circumstances not of our own. Or maybe we're underemployed, which is almost worse in some ways, where we go to a job that just does not meet our uh, wiring and doesn't fit who we are made to be, and we feel like there's something more that we should be doing. And I know these things personally and deeply. I'm 49 years old, and I have been a lot of different things, and I have a very nonlinear career path, and I still kind of don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, And if you're alarmed at that, please know that so am I a little. (laughs) It's a lot to wrestle with. I also want to publicly thank Stephen Milburn. We've included voices from the community in these conversations throughout the weeks. And Stephen was going to share, but he and I had, uh, he was going to share, and that turned into a one-hour conversation on Friday and then to a two-hour conversation yesterday. It was just too much to cram into him being able to share in five minutes. And he's a beautiful soul, and if you're wrestling with these things, you should take Stephen out for a beer or coffee because he has insight into these things. He's a uh, marvelous resource for us. Also, I commend to you the organization I used to work for, which is Denver Institute for Faith and Work. They put on forums. They, they're wrestling with all this very stuff, forums, educational events, uh, vocation groups. Um, they also have an amazing program called the 5280 Fellowship, which is a nine-month emerging leaders program. Uh, it helps people understand a theology of work and calling and culture in more profound ways. I led a cohort in that fellowship last year, and it's a profound experience for those involved. So if you are wrestling with these things, please know that we as a community at Platte Park Church care about these things, and we want you to have resources uh, to wrestle through it and talk about it and think about it. Um, And then tonight even, I'm leading a small group for young adults called Wisdom of Elders, and we're going to talk about this very thing of work and calling uh, tonight. So just know that the resources are there, and we care about you and your work and what you do with the majority of your time. We recognize you're only here an hour a week um, or so, depending. You spend a lot more of your time out there, and we want you to know that you're loved, you're cared for, and that you're supported in the work that you do. And in any way we can do that, we want to provide that. So please know that work is a curse. We, We live under it. Work is Work is difficult, and that's not always bad, and know that work is a gift, a gift that we are going to fully understand at some point when Jesus makes things right. So let's pray. God, we are grateful that you have wired us in such a way that we, um, that we have work, that we have things that we can do that occupy our time, occupy our energies. You know the person you made us to be. What you have done is no accident. We are not accidents. Our wiring, our histories, our experiences are not accidents. And you have something for us. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit, through the context of community, you might help us discover and live into those things for your glory and our greater good. Amen.